Hello, and welcome to Meandering with Myrn, a potpourri of podcast by me, veterinary ethologist Myrna Milani. Join me as I ponder any and all things animal and human, what we know and what we don't, where we've been, where we are, and where we're headed. It seems safe to say that using animal symbols to spread misinformation works because doing so has been a common human activity for thousands of years. But as soon as we look at animals as evidence of something other than what they are, their unique identities give way to those we assign them based on our own needs. We reduce them to actors who have been typecast because of their success playing a particular role. The setting and script may change, but their role remains unchanged. As long as they continue to behave in a manner that complements our beliefs, all is right in our world. When a companion or wild animal's behavior begins to contradict any symbolism we attach to them, though, life may become difficult for them and us. Regardless what we may say to the contrary, many of us do take it personally when little baby kitty grows up to be a raving maniac. Nor do we like it when Sweet Angel, the Golden Retriever mix, becomes a people-humper extraordinaire. In these cases, we share our homes with the animals to whom we attach the symbolism. And more often than not, the symbolism we attach to them reflects a quality that means a great deal to us. It's a projection of ourselves. Consequently, we may take any behaviors they display that contradicts our symbolism very personally. This is where the quality of the bond comes in. If we have a stronger bond with the idea of a forever little baby kitty or sweet angel mix, then any changes in their behavior that violate that image will undermine our relationship with these animals. And that, in turn, will undermine our willingness to address these issues. Even if we do address them, we may feel the animals let us down or betrayed us by not living up to our symbolism. On the other hand, If our bonds with our animals as animals are stronger than any symbolism we attach to them, most of us will take one of three approaches. Some of us may replace the problematic symbolism with something more flexible and appropriate. For example, though we may not like our dogs or cats' more mature behaviors compared to their puppy or kitten ones, We accept this is normal for our animals. Or we may choose to replace the problematic symbolism with something more appropriate. This may mean taking a more knowledge-based approach. Learning about why the animals display behaviors we consider problematic 
and how we can replace these with those that meet our animals' needs as well as our own turns a problem into a win-win situation. Instead of focusing on what the animal's negative behavior means to us, we focus on ways to resolve the problem behavior and strengthen our bond with each other. A third and most difficult option involves choosing to eliminate all symbolism from our relationship with these animals. Instead, we focus on how our animals normally communicate with their behaviors and how these normally change over time. We also focus on how to avoid reinforcing those that could become problematic or how to properly address them if and when they do occur. However, this isn't as easy as it may sound. Homo sapiens has been assigning symbolism to animals for eons. Consequently, doing so may play such an important role in our own mental well-being that eliminating any symbolism that creates problems for the animals may be difficult. This brings me to the symbolic load we heap upon wild animals. Theoretically, wild animal symbols also may evolve over time while the animals themselves remain basically unchanged. But it's doubtful it works that way. Back when evolving humans were more attuned to nature, it's easy to imagine a group of young children charged with the necessary but boring tasks vital to the group's survival form teams to make the work more enjoyable. Naming their teams surely came next. Adopting the name of wild animals whose speed, strength, or other qualities that would make the children's work easier would seem like logical choices for team names. But over time, symbols may gain new meanings. As the children grow up, some may continue to fraternize with each other and they and others refer to the group as the eagles. Not because their keen eyesight enables them to locate the plants their elders need to make healing remedies for the group. That's what the little kids do. Now they're old enough to hunt and the group's animal symbol receives a makeover to reflect this. In the new version, the speed and stealth become the qualities that children adopt for themselves. By the time they reach adulthood and supplies may become limited, they may claim the eagle's resourcefulness instead. Over time, the real qualities these animals possess may give way to those displayed by the people who claim the animals' names as symbols. As people became more remote from nature, any symbolism assigned to wild animals tells us more about human imagination than animal behavior. Say the words eagles, rams, badgers, bisers, or bengals to a U.S. football enthusiast 
and it likely will elicit images of memorable players, games, or plays. Ask them about the behaviors of these animals in the wild, and any responses may be dubious at best. Although it's tempting to say that modern media and its offspring, social media, are responsible for today's use of wild animal symbolism is strictly for human gain. But history makes it clear that this isn't the case. The media does permit the spread of animal-related misinformation faster. And like the spread of all other kinds of misinformation, Eventually, it may reach a point where some people believe it's true. It's one thing to attach all kinds of information or misinformation to a maybe real, maybe not creature like the Loch Ness Monster. It's quite another to take an exquisite creature like the monarch butterfly, which is extraordinary in its own right, and use it to support the most blatant human political and financial goals. The only thing worse is to use such strategies in a manner that overlooks and denigrates the other species and cultures that truly do occupy those areas to advance those same selfish human agendas. You've been listening to a podcast by veterinary ethologist Myrna Milani. For more podcasts, commentaries and books about animal behavior and the human-animal bond, and links to behavior and bond sites, check out my website at www.mmilani.com. For more specific information, feel free to email me at mm@mmilani.com. All rights related to the content of these podcasts are retained by Myrna Milani. The background music, Molly on the Shore by Percy Granger, is used with permission from Katova Arts, www.katova.com.